Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, as he does every week at 10 o'clock, is Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing good. I'm looking outside. Looks like it's going to be another beautiful day. You know, we get a few storms that come through this time of the year. But other than that, the weather is just gorgeous. And if you want to get away from the heat, you can head up into the elevation a little bit. If you enjoy the little warmer weather, there's we've got all the plains to take advantage of. And there's so much going on. Fishing, hunting. Hard to even pick what to focus on, isn't it? Very much so, and I'll tell you, if you've spent any time in the high country in the last, say, week or 10 days, um, you know, I know as much as my wife hates it when I say it, your wife's the same, uh, but there is definitely a chill in the air. I'm up here at Spinney Mountain Reservoir, and I tell you, I was, like, shivering this morning. Um, the temps are definitely dropping, you know, as of maybe four to five days ago. Um, I would say that those those fall tendencies are happening. Um, obviously, lots of summer left, but the, the overall temperatures at night and uh, in those low light periods are definitely shrinking down. It's uh, it's kind of that, that approach to fall and approach to fall fishing and fall hunting up here in the high country. Uh, you know, front range and plains are definitely still full peak summer, uh, but the high country is starting to go through those that morphing into that change, which we love to see. Oh, yeah, it is. Really, yeah, you know, people talk about the dog days of summer, and really what happens is the fish get into a pattern where they're, they don't, their feeding doesn't change much. There's a lot of food available. It's not that fishing isn't isn't where you want it to be. It's just it's different. But as we move towards fall, those fish are going to become more aggressive. They're going to start fattening up for the winter. The animals start moving, the hunting. They're, you know, it doesn't do much good to pattern the animals too much in June. You want to know kind of where they're at. But now they're starting to move into the locations where you're going to hunt, especially pronghorn. That starts just in a couple of weeks, right? I mean that's it. it. Starts the fifteenth, so we uh, we are in full game plan, you know, mode scouting everything for for pronghorn. Um, I mean, you really need to have your your game plans in mind, especially if you're gonna you know sit on a water hole. You're knowing which water hole. If you're gonna set up a blind, you make sure you have all those kind of preparations in mind. Um, and more so than anything, I would say a lot of the game plans for pronghorn have changed in the last say two weeks. You know, when we were in June and July, it was obviously you know one of the hotter months we've had it was hot it was cooking we were almost extreme drought type conditions to where i was saying that water holes were going to be the most effective way you could even dream uh, of getting on pronghorn now i i've literally hunted pronghorn with a bow every which way possible i mean from mirrors to you know to, to flagging them into decoys to water holes a spot in stock um you know even used livestock to walk behind um so i've done everything you know known to man to hunt pronghorn um and this year i was really uh, looking forward to a lot of water hole hunts and that's kind of how the game plan was we had a lot of moisture uh say in the last 10 days and i would say the amount of water holes in a lot of areas in certain regions of the state have 
have doubled or tripled. Um, I know I'm talking to hunters across the state that all of a sudden now are saying that they're, you know, they had pronger on, on their cameras every single day on their water holes. And in the last, you know, week or so, 10 days, that has changed. Um, you know, now they're coming in every three, four days, every six days. Um, so really a lot of that has changed. So you literally have two weeks to make those decisions. You know, hey, do I do I adjust my water hole and move to a water hole that the animals are hitting a little bit more, uh, you know, just on a more steady basis? Um, or is it a situation to where it's time to abandon the water hole or maybe that's just a plan B and you're going to approach with decoys or approach to, uh, you know, a spot and stock method or even, a, I don't want to say an ambush, but we do a lot of hunting on fence lines. Um, a lot of people don't do this enough. I think it's probably one of the the sleeper ways of pronghorn hunting with a bow. Um, you know, pronghorn rarely jump a fence. They always go under a fence. And, you know, almost on a daily basis, even though it seems like it's slow, um, you know, these animals move around a lot. Um, you know, you sit there and watch them glassing, and it seems like they're not moving much. But if you watch them all day, they're definitely having major migrations throughout the course of the day. And oftentimes those migrations lead to crossing a fence. Um, you know, setting up a blind or even, uh, you know, a, a stack of, of bushes or brush, um, you know, next to an area where these guys are dumping under fences is a fantastic way to get close, get the approach. And as they approach that fence, they start looking at that gap where they're going to cross the fence. Um, and they really focus on the fence. And that gives you the time to try to draw your bow and make that shot. So literally hunting fence lines for pronghorn is one of the dynamite ways to do it. Um, and it's easy to scout. You can get out there right now to the property you're hunting, um, you know, find, find the fence lines that the animals are using, and you just walk those fences, and it's very easy to see where they drop underneath. You're going to see where that wire's a little loose. You're going to see almost a game trail going underneath it. A lot of times you'll have hair on the fence, um, but it's one of those things that once a pronghorn figures out the fence they like crossing under, it, they frequently do it. You know, It's not like they go under every fence. They will pick a section, and oftentimes you'll have a half mile of fence, and you'll have one crossing that they like to cross at. Um, so those are the type of things that you need to do now, especially if the area you're hunting has had a lot of rain and that water hole is getting filled up and there's little pockets of, of water everywhere. Um, you know, the backup plans are changing those plans. Now's the time to do that as, uh, again, in two weeks, we'll be out here chasing pronghorn. Oh, yeah. You know, although I will admit that to me, pronghorn hunting with a bow is to me like hunting doves with a shotgun. It's you get to shoot a lot, but you don't you don't harvest a lot. <laughs> But um, it's uh, people starting out, if this is their first archery season, um, if if they're going after pronghorn, what are a couple of the biggest mistakes they make when they go after pronghorn? You know, I'd say the biggest thing is their vision is so much better than you ever give them credit for, uh, more so than any animal out there. Um, I mean, their vision is absolutely impeccable. So, I mean, even when you're in a blind, I can't tell you how many times I've been caught drawing or caught moving to get things set up. So the biggest thing is in the final approach, whether you're using a decoy, whether you're in a blind, on the fence line, however your approach is, their vision is impeccable. So the final moments when you have to draw, when you have to move, when you have to use your rangefinder. Um, that's when everything tends to go south. So number one, give these animals the credit they deserve. Know that they're going to pick up on movement, you know, a a mile away type thing. Um, So really just have that in your head. You know, when you're practicing right now, I know we always talk about practicing in the gear you're going to wear, and and we beat the subject up, and people laugh at us for for talking about this so much. But, you know, now's the time to wear – 
you want to sit behind a decoy and, you know, maybe you're sitting down, um, you know, with your legs crossed, maybe on your knees, but knowing that you can successfully draw your bow, you know, a lot of times I camp my bow while sideways to parallel the decoy. I draw in that fashion and then I slowly upright to where I'm going to take the shot. But making sure that, you know, even though you know you have a decoy, know you have this approach, you know, how are you going to draw? How are you going to physically do this in the field without these animals seeing you and getting very nervous? Um, So it's things like that that you need to practice and get set up on right now. Um, With the approach of the waterhole, probably the biggest mistake I make, now this is very situational, but probably the biggest thing that I I see hunters making the mistake on is they get the animal's pattern and they say, okay, you know, every day between two and four is when pronghorn are hitting my waterhole. So a lot of people will only get into that blind an hour before they start coming. Now, if you're in an area where you can make this amazing approach and not be seen by anything, um, you know, you have the possibility of doing that. But generally speaking, I, I know so many hunters that, that pattern these animals at a certain time and they try to sneak in there, you know, an hour before they're normally getting there and they ruin the hunt because even though the pronghorn are six, 700 yards away at this time, um, they see them coming in there. They see the truck. They hear the door slam, all of those type things. Um, and they ruin the entire hunt by their approach into their blind, into their waterhole. So when hunting a waterhole, um, you know, for me, even if they're hitting in the afternoon, it's one of those things I dedicate to that water. If I'm going to hunt water, I dedicate to it. I go in an hour before it gets light, get situated, you know, block all your wind, get comfortable, um, and just wait it out. It's hot. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable. It's boring. Uh, but regardless, if, if you want to have that success, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes you make is, is guys approaching their spot and ruining it before the action actually starts so you make it a, a big day get in that water hole um it'll it'll shock you how that will increase your success even though you think they're far away again their vision uh, vision is great and a lot of times they bust you before it happens so uh, make the most of it especially if you have animals on a pattern um just dedicate to that hunt all right let's switch things up a little bit what are you seeing going on fishing around the state I'll tell you, we have bites going all over the state, like you said, Terry. Uh, you know, I'd love to start talking about walleye first. You said the dog days, it's summer. You use that phrase. Um, and I would say that right now, um, again, I still, still, there's lots of time to tell, but the last two years, we have been on a low bait fish season at Chatfield, a low shad year, and we keep talking about how incredible the fishing was. You know, ice fishing, having 50, 60 fish days. Uh, I mean, Chatfield has been a place of the entire state of Colorado, if not the West United States, a place to go to catch numbers of fish. Um, so far from what I've seen from the shad hatch this year, the shad are at a full boom, um, which is a good and bad situation. It's absolutely great for the fishery. It's great for the walleye that skinny for two years. Um, as far as angling goes, um, I would not say it's the greatest thing. Um, it is now going to fish like a very typical, very in, you know bait fish infested water. Um, so the, again, you're going to have to be a little bit more conscious of what you're doing um, right now opposed to maybe what you were doing a month ago. Um, so there is a ton of bait. The bait is everywhere. Um, the bait has now moved offshore and is out in the body of water. Um, so whether you're fishing Chatfield, Trey Creek, Pueblo, all of these fisheries had a very good bait spawn. So the shad are thick. So, so many anglers are used to going out, doing their traditional live bait techniques, bottom bouncers and all of that. Um, and they're not having success. And I keep hearing that it's the heat that is causing these fish not to bite, which is not the case. The heat is pulling the shad to the surface, and if the shad are at the surface, I guarantee you your predators that eat the shad are with them. So if you want to go out there and have a great, successful day on mature walleyes, and some of those bigger walleyes, 
um, you are fishing just below that bait. Um, you know, again, you're going to have to use your electronics, find the bait, and fish just underneath them. But if I had to say a general rule of thumb, I would say majority of the fish in all these fisheries is in the top 10 feet of the water column. So if you are a person that can fish crankbaits, you're a person that likes to troll, I would head out to open water, find bait fish, and pull crankbaits just below those bait fish, and you're going to have a very successful day on walleyes. If you're an angler that does not like the crankbait technique, you don't like trolling, you want to work a, a soft plastic and things like that, um, that approach is still existent. The biggest thing is you have to find shallow water structure. So if your walleyes are in seven, eight, nine feet of water, you have to find shallow enough structure that is shallow than that to where the walleye still can sit on structure and still approach, uh, you know, uh, still eat on bait fish that's approaching. So if you are a structure angler, you want to fish a blade bait, that's, you know, any of those those traditional jigging style baits, um, you're going to be looking for structure that is, say, five to ten feet in depth, nothing deeper than that. Again, you still have to have a funnel effect. Um, so, again, if you are fishing traditional structure in that 14 to 20 foot zone, your success rate is going to be going down. Move to shallow water structure, points, um, you know, real shallow flats, things that you would normally avoid because you're worried about hitting your boat on. That's the type of structure that's going to be holding fish right now. Uh, so as a walleye angler, shallow water structure, if you're working baits, uh, if you're a troller, just go find suspended bait, put your baits underneath them, and you're going to catch those fish. So the walleye bite is very much still very hot, um, but it has drastically changed in the last month or so. Uh, so be adaptive move with that uh you know accompany what's going on you're still going to have that success but if you're going to continue with the traditional styles that you've been doing a month ago you might not have that success so really adapt to that situation that's going to create success for you got about two minutes left nate what else is happening you know, the, the mountain lakes are fishing very well. We're starting to see those colder temps starting to, uh, you know, really have an effect on those fish, I would say. Um, you know, we're starting to see some some variations of, of overall the thermocline. I don't want to say the lakes have turned over, but you're definitely seeing some some changes in the water conditions um, due to those colder temps at night. Uh, but the pike fishing is, is picking up. We've had a lot of people talk about, you know, some of the fish they've seen on our Facebook page as far as big pike go. Um, we're definitely seeing that uh, early fall patterns for pike, so spinnerbaits, buzz baits. Uh, the pike bite is going in most places across the state. Uh, the trout bite, again, we have damsels that are cruising the shorelines early in the day. Uh, so a lot of active trout um, in low light period. So in the low light period, we're saying early morning, evening, and even if you get a lot of wind, that'll kind of create that low light period in that water column. Um, so I would definitely do a lot of focus on fishing in those earlier and later stages of the day um, for the trout as those opportunities exist. Uh, but again, good trout action kind of all over the the state. Um, the bass, same thing. We have actually some great topwater action for bass across the state, but very, very much a low light and or dark bite. Um, you, know, you can start the bass an hour before it gets light. Um, you're going to have a lot of success with that topwater, and those are very, very low light periods of the day for those. Um, so again, a lot of fishing action. Um, as it is hot, you know, you're really putting a lot of focus on the patterns um, and catering the fish more so than ever, uh, and you're going to have that success with all those fish. All right. If people want more information or book a trip, how do they find you, Nate? Absolutely. You know, you can go to our Facebook page and go to our website. Um, we do have another catch rate event at Chatfield. Uh, we had a great turnout last Wednesday. Um, normally, it's every other Wednesday. This week, we're doing them back-to-back. So this coming Wednesday at Chatfield, we have another catch rate event. Um, again, if you've heard about this but you haven't done it, 
we encourage everybody give it a try. You're, it's something that you must see the camaraderie, the the seeing what other anglers are doing. Um, it's a really neat event. So that's at Chatfield. You just drop in, no sign up. You show up at the North Boat Dock uh, between three and four p.m. to register. Four p.m. to eight p.m. is the event. It's twenty dollars per species. You can fish one species. You can fish all four species. But twenty bucks an angler. Uh, it is a great time. So we encourage everybody come down to Chatfield this coming Wednesday. Check it out. Uh, you'll have a great time there. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again next week. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. All right, Nate, Nate Zielinski with Tightline Outdoors, tightlineoutdoors.com, and Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. We'll take a quick time out, and we come back. The folks from Jack's Outdoor Gear are going to join us, and we're going to talk archery on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. This is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Five locations to serve you. Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Broomfield, and Cheyenne. And remember, we still have a $50 gift card to give away on this morning's show yet to Jack's. But let's go, speaking of Jack's, let's go right to the phones. And joining us from their hunting and archery department is Reese Roberts. Reese, good to have you on again. Good to be back, Terry. How are you? Doing well. Now, we talked picking out a hunting rifle last time, and uh, you were in the uh, hunting department, and we talked about that. But now we're going to touch on something that's really near and dear to your heart, and that's archery, isn't it? It is. Um, that's I run the bow shop at the, the Fort Collins store, and I've been an archery hunter since I was about 14. Yeah, it's it's really catching. Are you seeing a lot of interest, new new archery people? Oh yeah, I definitely think with uh, with what's going on right now, people are trying to find an excuse to get outdoors, and archery has been one thing that a lot of people flock to, um, which has been great to see younger shooters getting involved, as well as people who probably haven't shot a bow since maybe they were in high school 40-plus years ago. So we're definitely now, a lot more interest. Oh yeah. Now, if I, I've been there, so I know what it looks like, but if somebody walks into the pro shop at the Jack's Outdoors, you're in the one in Fort Collins. And I believe three stores have archery pro shops. Is that right? That is correct. Our Lafayette Outdoor Gear store, as well as our Broomfield store, all have archery pro shops. Now, if I walked in, or I did walk in, tell people, kind of describe what they're going to see there as they walk into that pro shop. Um, so one thing that a lot of people don't know about Jack's is all of our stores that have a pro shop, we also have an indoor archery range. Um, so we have a 20-yard archery range as well as a full pro shop for any maintenance. We do custom strings, arrows, any tuning and repairs for uh, any bow and really any company. And so you have a great selection of bows. Now, I, obviously, if an advanced shooter comes in compared to a new shooter, the approach is different. But what are some of the things? Let's say I, I'm new to archery. I want to get started, or I'm a youth, one of the two. How do you kind of take me through the process of selecting a bow? Um, so the first question is kind of what your intentions are. If you're just looking to go out on a weekend, fling some arrows at paper, and have a great time, um, that approach is a little bit different than somebody who's looking to get into archery hunting or bow hunting for the first time. So kind of establishing that will kind of lead us into a path of where we're going to go. Um, and then the next question is, are you looking to get into a, a compound bow or a recurve bow? Um, and then that kind of leads into two different directions, but has some similarities in uh, what they're kind of looking for, a price range that they're possibly going for, or 
really some people even pick them based on the color of the bow, the color of the arrows. Um, a lot of it is really personal preference, what's going to feel the best for you. We try to get new shooters shooting a couple different bows, and that's one of the benefits of having an on-site archery range. You can actually try out bows before you buy it, so you can feel comfortable with the equipment before you walk out the door. Now, what kind of price range is what I'd be looking at? If I'm a new archery shooter, either target or hunting, obviously hunting probably I'm going to spend a little more money, but what, what are some of the price ranges to get into archery? Um, so depending on what you're looking at, if you're looking to get into archery with a recurve bow, um, you can be out the door with everything you need, arrows, bow, finger tab, arm guard, for a little over 200 um, and then with compounds, you're going to be looking a little more. Um, generally, we say you can get a really good hunting setup out the door for 450 and then up. Um, if you're looking at some of the flagship Matthews bows that we carry, um, those bear bows start at around 1,000, so it can go up pretty quickly from there. But that's also getting the top-of-the-line equipment. Um, so you really have a kind of a wide range, and the nice part about archery is you can kind of pick and choose um maybe you're getting a really good site to start with and a decent rest or the other way around and then as you progress as you continue to shoot archery you can then upgrade piecemeal equipment in to get a setup that you're really happy with down the road now if i'm a youth or somebody that maybe is still developing or maybe not as strong if i buy a bow that's uh, less powerful are they adjustable or, or do i have to get a new bow um there's definitely a lot of adjustability especially um from us we have the mission line which is owned by matthews um they're a very adjustable bow they're meant to grow with shooters so a lot of them have a a draw length range from 17 inches which would be most younger teenagers all the way up to adulthood up to 28 inches and then they range in poundage from 10 pounds to 50 or 17 pounds all the way up to 70 pounds so that ideally you could get a bow as a kid and shoot that until you're an adult um, so that's the really nice part and a lot of those give very really clear instructions that you can do everything kind of by yourself um, it shows you exactly how to adjust the draw length you don't need a bow press so you don't need to come into a shop and we will gladly do that for you um, generally at no cost especially if you buy the bow from us we're definitely willing to adjust that as you continue to grow and shoot that bow and now if i come in what about uh, arrows. If I come in, I don't know a lot about arrows. What are some of the mistakes people make when they're starting to choose arrows for hunting? Um, some of the mistakes that I see pretty common are just purchasing the wrong arrow to start. Um, one of the big things about archery is getting the equipment that matches the bow that you're shooting. So if you're shooting a certain poundage, you need an arrow that's going to be stiff enough that it's going to shoot and fly well. If you're underspined, if it's not stiff enough, that energy from the shot is not going to be transferred into the arrow. It's going to stay in the limbs, and that can cause catastrophic failures. If it's too stiff, then it's going to react very differently each time off of the riser. So finding an arrow that's correctly spined is one of the big things, um, and that generally is the thing that a lot of people, they either had arrows from an older bow that was less poundage and then just kept using the same arrows, but now they're underspined. So that's a big issue that we see, and it's it's something that it can be quite dangerous. Um, 
but just making sure that you have the right arrow for your bow and we'll walk any customer through our process of how we pick out the arrow for them or how we pick out the spine that they need. Um, any of the big arrow providers give a spine chart that tells you if your arrow is this long and you're shooting this much weight, you need to shoot this spine arrow. So it makes it really easy for us to kind of show like this is this is what you need um, and this is what you're shooting so you can see that you are quite underspined. Well, and because you have a range, I'm sure they could bring their bow in, or if they're buying a bow, they can shoot some different arrows, and you can kind of go through that with them, right? Yeah, in general, we'll we'll really try to set up, and a lot of us have quite a bit of experience with all the different arrows that we carry. Um, myself, I've shot probably nine different arrows in the last year and a half, just trying to find out which one I like, which one I like for certain things. So one of the benefits of the Pro Shop is we have bow techs that are constantly messing around with the new equipment so that we can have actual information and feedback to give to a customer. Now, speaking of your technicians, I come in, I own a bow. I realize that I need some work done before I can hunt or maybe string or cable. What can you do for me if I get in there so I'm ready to go hunting? Um, so one of the big things is um, we do uh, tune and time bows, so making sure that they are still in their factory specs. Over time, bowstrings will stretch, which will cause the limbs to be a little further apart, which will take it out of the correct specs from the factory. So if the string is in good condition, we can add some twists or take away some twists and get that back where it needs to be. Um, in a lot of instances, for most people, if they're shooting as much as they should, two to three years is about the average lifespan of a, a bowstring. So after that point, you're going to start to see some stretch. You'll start to see some wear and tear on the string. Um, and at that point, we generally suggest the new stringing cables. All right. And you can, you really are full service. We're out of time, but the three tell again the three locations of jacks that have uh, archery pro shops. So our Fort Collins outdoor store right at 1200 North College, and then our Lafayette outdoor store, um, which is uh, located on – South Highway 287, and then our Broomfield store, which is on 120th Avenue in Broomfield. Those are the three pro shops that we have, and we have Botex at each of those locations as well as the indoor ranges. All right. We could have just kept talking forever. You're so full of knowledge. If people are interested in archery, they need to get by the Jack's Pro Shops and just talk to you guys because you're going to learn. I know when I came in, I learned just so much more about archery, just having conversations with you guys. Reese, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's Reese Roberts from the Archery Pro Shop at Jackson Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, um, I think we might have time for a trivia yet this show, and, a, and Chad LaChance will join us. So we got a lot coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Take it easy by the Eagles. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors, with locations in Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Broomfield and Cheyenne. Hey, I want to tell you real quick, uh, if you need to follow us on Facebook and our YouTube channel, a couple reasons. Our YouTube channel uh, has shows from our television uh, shows, Mountain States Fishing and Angling Adventures, and a lot of it was filmed right here. So a lot of the fishing we talk about on this show 
There's shows that cover exactly that on the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube. And on Facebook, Facebook, we, uh, we just recently put up an article about um, I did on power fishing this time of the year, along with some of our regular contributors with some podcasts embedded in it to help you do the cover water kind of fishing that's most effective right now. Also on Facebook, um, you'll find a fishing report, you'll find personal reports from me, and you'll find information about our trivia, which we just restarted. Now, if you heard me mention just a minute ago that um, when addition to the radio, we did several seasons on television, and those are on YouTube right now. So I'm going to give a $50 gift card to the first person to text that's text, not call, 303-713-1043, and tell me how many seasons did we do on our television shows? How many seasons did our television shows run? And if you were following us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you would know the answer to that. Anyway, um, we're, you know what? Well, you guys are trying to answer that trivia let's take a quick time out and then chad lachance will join us and we'll talk some fishing right here on terry wickstrom outdoors presented by jack's outdoor gear take take it to the limit one of my all-time favorite eagle songs of course i think they're all my all-time favorites kyle yeah, well, like they're only uh, the number one selling band of all time, so. Yeah, but you know, and that's probably because I bought all their albums. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they, hey. they love Terry Wickstrom's uh, money. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we did have a winner on the trivia. It was Scott from Loveland, and we're, our television shows aired for 22 seasons. 22 seasons on television, and Scott from Loveland won uh, the trivia question. Let's go right to the phones and joining us. Chad Lachance, you were the answer to a trivia question once about the radio show. Oh, yeah, let me guess. First fill-in host. That's right. You were the first fill-in host. We used that question a while back, but you were the very first person that did the show when I was out of town and didn't. We used to try to do it live, then we'd pre-record it if I had to go out of town to film. And I never felt the show was right when it was a few days after because we talk about such current activities. And then so you came on as the first co-host, and you still do occasionally. So it's been great. That way we get really up-to-date information from people. And speaking of information, I think you want to talk to us about fishing. Yeah, but first I want to make you feel old, Terry. Uh, So just for the record, we are filming for our 24th season of Fishful Thinker right now. So, uh, yeah, how about that? But, uh, yes, fishing, high country stuff. Uh, you know, at this time of year, it's kind of dog daisy of summer. The reservoirs are still fairly busy and, and whatever. Uh, it's an excellent time of year to get up in the high country. And up there, it's kind of peak feeding season for all the fish. And, of course, we are in Colorado. We have the highest average elevation of any state in the country. So it's a good time to get up and maybe chase either you know cutthroats or brook trout or maybe even grayling. Yeah, and there's a lot going on up there, and it's you can get away from the heat a little bit, but it's still very comfortable up there. And those those fish uh, go from uh, the spring thaw to the fall feeding in about 
two days, I think, up there. But <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's one of the blessings of high country fish. Uh, having said that, it's not always easy. So let's start with the easy ones and say brook trout. There's a bajillion streams in Colorado that are loaded with brook trout. Uh, this time of year, they are always willing biters, in my experience, just like you just referenced. And it could be anywhere from, from Michigan Creek to you know, all, there's a bajillion of them. I mean, literally, if anyone that can hear this show has a brookie stream west of their house somewhere, uh, most likely. And, you know, any a lot of the state parks, state forest, state parks, got a whole bunch of different ones that would be good for that. But the brookies are very willing biters, whether you're a fly fisherman or a spin fisherman. You know, if you want to make it easy, just go a little Johnson minnow spin, a little inline Johnson minnow spin and get after them. You'll catch them really easy. If you're a, a fly fisherman and, and people may know i'm a i love to fly fish it may not be a hardcore fly guy but the beauty of something like a brookie is if, if you've got a couple of hairs ears and a couple of atoms and a care caddis you could probably catch them you know a little little coachman or something you know you don't need a fancy fly selection or anything like that so they're the first ones i recommend people go after and i also recommend that they're delicious so if you're ever going to eat some trout eating some brookies is a is a great thing all the way around from the standpoint that they're very prolific as well so uh good good fish to eat fun fish to catch oh they really are and when we get towards fall and the males start getting the colors they look like they're hand painted they're so beautiful Oh, for sure. You know, and it's because they're actually a member of the tar family, and uh, and the margins on their fins are real distinct, you know, white margins on their fins and the red dots. I mean, yeah, they're beautiful fish. And speaking of beautiful fish, though, and I know you guys talked about it last week a little bit, so I won't talk too much about it this week, but, but the Arctic grayling, uh, you know, this is one of the few places you can catch arctic grayling in the lower 48 is in colorado here in Puget, montana a few other places but not they're not real common and it's a it's very very neat little fish kind of like little sailfish if people aren't familiar with them they've got a great big oversized dorsal fin and they can be trickier to catch and the, the thing about them like any of the high country fish is they have very very good eyesight and they're in crystal clear water and so they're very curious fish as well so they'll come and they'll look at stuff and they'll refuse a lot of things it's pretty easy to get your feelings hurt with uh with arctic char or cutthroat and crystal clear water for that matter and still water but they'll come look at stuff very commonly sometimes tricky to get them to bite um you know in my experience light line and small flies will get you more bites from them probably than anything else or a fly in a bubble uh if you're a spin guy that's probably the easiest way to catch them i do like a little bit of motion on my presentation though because they are curious so you know the bubble is actually a good uh attractor uh you know, as far as being able to move that thing on the surface, similar to a popping cork in saltwater, uh, they'll come and look at it, and they'll find your fly that's near it. And uh, so that can be a really good thing. Austin and I caught them with little gliding jigs, like little tiny, tiny little jigging wraps, ice fishing size ones. Um, you know, you can catch them with those. You can catch them with uh, a lot of stuff. If you start throwing inline spinners, things like that around grayling, you're going to get a lot of follows in a lot of cases, but not bites because they'll follow it to you. So they're, they can be a little bit pickier to get to, to eat, but they're always interactive fish. So that's really neat. And for that, Pearl Lake and Joe Wright are probably the two easiest places to locate them around here. Oh, it really is. And, you know, people don't realize that those fish have just – really gotten back into the lake uh that joe wright doesn't even the ice doesn't go off till the end of june and and yeah, that lake got some of the latest ice in the year and then also i'll point out that today is the first day it is legal to fish the stream the, the stream is always closed from ice out 
all the way up until uh, the end of July. August 1 is the first day they open the stream up, and that's because those things just finished spawning. They're up, they're, they run out of Joe Wright and up into the creek, and, uh, and they spawn, and then they return back to Joe Wright. And, uh, and in that regard, they protect them for that. But we were just up there, and there is, there's a fair number of guys fishing for them. Quite a few guys actually were up there fishing for them, but we had no problem catching them at will. I think we, we probably caught 20, 25 of them in, in no time flat. Well, and a, a good another good tip for the grayling is they have very small mouths. So if you're going to use a fly, you know don't use a giant fly. I've had really good luck with a little caddis and a little green caddis nymph suspended uh, underneath. Did you uh, did you use uh, nymphs or did you use dry flies or both? No, we strictly spin fished for them on this trip, okay. and uh, and so we caught them only with just little tiny. Um, those, those ice fishing size jigging wraps, smaller than they even make in most of the gliding jigs out there, like a Johnny Darby doesn't even come that small, a uh, little tiny jigging wrap, and throwing that thing on real light line and making long throws and working it back to the water column, snap it up and let it go down, snap it up and let it go down. And uh, and like I said, we caught them at will on the drop. They'll always bite that thing on the drop, and uh, and they bite it so subtly you don't feel it. And right when you go to pop it, every time there's just one on there. I mean, they, you don't feel a bite per se. You don't see a bite. It's it, the slack line, you know, and the bites go, the bait's going to the bottom. And when you pick it up, they're on there. And uh, yeah. interestingly enough, most fish are, you know, depth range specific, as you well aware. We caught them from two feet of water to 50 feet of water. So they're obviously getting around in the water column. There was quite a few guys fly fishing them when we were up there, and they were not catching fish. Uh, and I could tell by the way they were fly fishing, they were – throwing a bait and just letting it sit and it was just sitting on the surface and i just don't think that the fish were having a good opportunity to locate the fly um, a little bit of motion on it will help fish locate it yeah and I, when i fished from shore in fact one of the one of the episodes of my television show that's on my youtube channel uh, i do fish the grayling from the shore with a fly in a bubble and uh that you're i think you're absolutely right the bubble makes them curious and allows you um, when I fished a fly rod at Joe Wright, um, I almost went out in a float tube or a kayak That's or something. That's right. There's, there's no room to cast, which is why we didn't fly fish when we were there. The lake is very full, and there's no room to cast without a boat. So if you're going to fly fish up there, plan on, you know, keep that in mind as you head up there. And also, I think when I was up there, even if I could cast, the grayling always seemed to be rising about – 10 yards beyond where I could cast a fly line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they were 20 yards out. Is that what you're saying? No, just kidding. Uh, they, uh, no, well, that's about right, yeah. <laughs> but no, so they what were right. In our case, they were rising literally clear out in the middle of the lake uh, as well yeah. as along the banks. So and we had them rise at our feet. We had them rise way out there. They were clearly feeding well, but the, the guys that were closest to us that we were watching fly fish were throwing a, bait, you know, throwing a dry fly out letting it sit. And I, I think they need a little motion on there to, to help them, you know, uh, to help them get the, you know, just located because they are so curious to fish. And and just right. for the record, that water's crystal clear, and we were catching them on the brightest color, uh, white and chartreuse that we could throw. And the whole point is, and I'm not trying to mimic anything. I'm just trying to pique their curiosity and make them bite it because it's popping up and down the water column. You know, it's just taunting them into biting, basically. We got about two minutes left. Did you chase any cutthroats while you were up there? We did, but not with great success, uh, but only because we had a very, very short period of time to do it. And this is a great time of year to do it. And it's definitely something I think, uh, is, again, it's a, it's a rare opportunity. People need to tread lightly when they're up in the high country, but the cutthroat lakes should be in their prime right now. So places like Zimmerman and Agnes and the Ranger Lakes and a 
pile of others around the state of Colorado should be in their absolute prime right this minute. And the water's crystal clear almost always. Those fish are also very curious, similar to grayling. They'll come and look at stuff and refuse a lot of stuff. Uh, having said that, with cutthroats, in my experience, either if you're going to spin fish, either something extremely subtle or something extremely fast uh, will work for them as well. If you just burn up a bunch of water, retrieving baits at full speed you can typically get them to turn and chase it down i strongly prefer a fly rod with cutthroats because they're much easier to catch in my experience on fly rods as long as the wind's not blowing and uh and that's that's a really key again it's going to be a variety of bugs typically small very small in some cases and uh terrestrials would be the first thing i would try while i was up there right now just because it's the biggest bug i can get away with all right. Pat, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, Chad, where would they find more information about you? Uh, Fishful Thinker. Uh, at all, all the different social media, our YouTube channel, Instagram, or Facebook, or at our website, fishfulthinker.com. We're basically booked out uh, for, for most of the guiding right now until late into the, into the fall. So if people are thinking they want to go soon, unfortunately, we'll probably need to call Austin Parr or something. But for fall, we still have some dates. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again very soon. All right. Thanks very much, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. That's Chad Lachance. He fills in here occasionally, and he uh, also a great angler, and his television show, Fishful Thinker, Thinker, Fishful Thinker is on uh, on uh, the Altitude Channel. And, you know, speaking of uh, thinkers, somebody who I'm th- sure is going to put a lot of thought into this upcoming Broncos season is Dan Jacobs. Is that right, Dan? Absolutely. We got a very Broncos-heavy show this week, Terry, I want your opinion. People are starting already to give uh, uh, Vic Fangio a pass. The season hasn't even started yet. Elway's tampering down expectations. Brandon Stokely and his crew, they're giving out passes like cotton candy. Are, what say you, Terry? Should, should they just give him a pass because of the pandemic and he's the great Vic Fangio? What, what do you say? No, I don't think he should get a pass at all. He hasn't impressed me yet. And I'll tell you what, his, uh, his great defense, he didn't adapt to the players he had last year that well. Now, here's an example. They talk, Vic comes on right now, and he talks about that Vaughn has added a bunch of weight, and he's going to be a much more dedicated and hard-hitting player, and he expects great things. Last time Vaughn added weight, he slowed down a little bit, lost some quickness, but mostly he lost his flexibility. He wasn't able to make that bend to get around the defensive end, and it, it actually cost him sacks that year when he added the weight. I think the biggest reason Vaughn's not getting sacks is he gets double teamed and there's no pressure up the middle. And I think it's, if, he, if he has more sacks this year, I don't think it's going to be because he added weight. But yet Vic keeps talking about that over and over. Yeah, and he didn't, he didn't hesitate to put in another kind of backhanded compliment to Vaughn this week, too. Did you hear that? No, that, that he hasn't been as dedicated in the past years as he is this year? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I don't think you take your star player who's working hard to come back and make comments like that. I don't think negative motivation is really that good unless you're unless you're our unless you're our our left tackle. Well, Terry, I know for years and years you have been resting on your laurels, but this year you're really become a great fisherman again. So hats off to you. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, lots coming up, lots to talk about. You know, on the biggest thing, we're starting to see these COVID stuffs creeping into baseball. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with football. You know, are we are we overly optimistic, Dan? Well, I don't think college football is going to going to 
finish their season if they even get a start. The NFL is going to do everything, absolutely everything in their power to to get a – they're calling it a complete season. So I think they have – they're not sharing it with the public, but they have some scenarios where they can, you know, not – they can shorten the season and still call it complete and then have playoffs. All right. Well, Real quick, we'll Terry, let you get, my, my, we'll my, all... my answer for the trivia question, 22. Did I get it right? Yeah, but you, you know that because you follow me on Facebook. That's right, I do. Every week. All right. That, thank you. And every week we do this show from 9 to 11. We're going to let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports with Dan Jacobs on 104.3 The Fan.